Hello, basketball world. It's Eric Gormley from PlaySight. Welcome to The Edge. Each week, we'll be bringing you interviews from the brightest minds and most interesting people in hoops, breaking down their careers, jobs, stories, and ultimately finding out what gives them the edge each time their team steps out onto the court. We hope you enjoy a behind-the-scenes look into each one of our guests. Let's get to the interview. Welcome to The Edge podcast. I'm Eric Gormley, and on this episode, we spoke to Nick Friedman, who is a player development coach for the Charlotte Hornets. Nick and I spoke at length about Nick's journey into basketball, getting a start in the G League, and ultimately making it to the Charlotte Hornets, where he oversees a direct development of specific players. We also discussed Nick's off-season training programs, working with a variety of NBA players, including Kevin Knox and Terry Rozier. And Nick told us about the best workout that he's ever seen at any level of basketball. Let's get to the interview. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the PlaySite Podcast. Today, we've got on Nick Friedman, who's a player development coach for the Charlotte Hornets. Nick, how you doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. Just, uh, you know, hanging in there, enjoying quarantine, just trying to grow and become a better coach. So I, I, I hear you on that. Where are you at right now? Uh, currently in Charlotte, North Carolina, just trying to wait out, you know, what the NBA is going to do with our situation um, and, uh, you know, just holding tight. So. For sure. Are you, are you getting to, you know, work out at all? Are you, are you using anything to stay in shape, uh, you know, during, during the uh, downtime here? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun just to kind of get back to your roots, do like your individual ball handling stuff. Like I'll go hit a track, do a running workout. I've got a kettle, 50 pound kettlebell, just trying to get my own work in and I'll bring a basketball and just, you know, like you did, right. Go back into your yard and just, do your individual ball handling, single ball, maybe get a second ball, do some two ball stuff. Just getting back to your roots, it's a little bit refreshing. But other than that, I haven't shot a basketball in like two months. It's going to be pretty ugly when I get back on the court just trying to hoop with some guys. But fortunately, I don't get paid to do that anymore. So, Or I never did, but you know what I'm saying. For sure. So how are you communicating with the guys that, you know, you're used to training in person every day? Uh, what's, what's that been looking like for you? Uh, a lot of film. Uh, you know, we did a lot of postseason evaluation for guys, making plans of development, you know, for guys like Jalen McDaniels, Caleb Martin, our two-way guys, Kobe Simmons, Ray Spaulding, just putting together just a long, you know, a year-long review of where we think we can get them better and just hitting them with some quick hit stuff. So sending them, you know, two, three-minute edits, nothing crazy long, but just quick hits to keep them engaged. And I think it's been, an, it's been effective. Uh, you know, the fortunate thing about this all this whole thing is when you get to the NBA level and the G League level in particular, it becomes more about the psychology and the emotions and controlling those and harnessing those than it is really about the skill. We get really concerned about, you know, shooting percentages, finish percentages, all that. But if your mind isn't right, and you're not really at terms and at ease with who you are and who you need to become. It's very difficult to succeed. Um, we had two guys this year in particular with Jalen McDaniels and Caleb Martin who really came to terms with what they needed to do in order to fill a role um, and to continue to remind them, those guys of what they need to do has kind of been my goal um, and then with our two-way guys kind of the same same idea just taking a big step back and reflecting on you know what we need to do to just solidify ourselves as NBA players um, so that's really been my goal in this whole thing from a video standpoint it's just not to over flood these guys with too much information but just you know, just checking in and, and showing them some love and, and keeping them positive. Sure. And are most of your guys, do they stay locally in, in Charlotte or, you know, did they go back home? For the most part, guys are, are here. A um, couple guys 
went elsewhere to just um, check in with family and so forth. But for the most part, everybody's been in Charlotte, but none of us have gotten in the gym and kind of just stayed away. So, so has most of your communication been, you know, with them um, through, through a basketball lens? I know you talked about kind of the holistic and the mental approach too. Um, are you guys going through any motivational, you know, series with them or is it you know, more basketball geared? Uh, for me personally, it's been a combination of both. I would like it to be a little bit more like holistic, like you said, like I'm personally reading The Power Now uh, by Eckhart Tolle. I strongly suggest that to anybody, just being able to evaluate and cherish the present, the present versus the future or the past. And I think it's something that all guys can really gravitate towards. But I, I, I think you inspired me a little bit through this conversation to just try to hit those guys on that on that level a little bit more. Sure, sure. No, it's, it seems like that's, you know, you got to come at them from multiple angles. Um, so, so I got to ask you a question, you know, you, you work for the Hornets. Uh, the MJ doc is currently on the last dance. Um, what are your thoughts on that so far? It, it must be interesting to watch that while you work for an organization that MJ owns. Yeah. The, the biggest thing that has stood out to me about the whole thing is just the level of selflessness that this guy operated with, um, uh, on a game to game basis. Like you go back and you watch the games. I've actually made it a, uh, a project of mine to try to watch every game in the 98 finals and like you just see some of the plays that he made like there was one play in like game two at Utah where there's like 45 seconds I think it's like under a minute left and instead of forcing something to the rim he dumps it off to Luke Longley for like a paint shot floater and it ties the game up I believe and it's like in that moment like for MJ to have confidence in that play like just really really stood out to me and then, like in last episode, it's, you know, that full length of the court game six moment against Phoenix in 93 where, you know, instead of trying to force it to the rim and everybody in that situation probably would have been okay with him forcing it to the rim, the dude gives it up. I forget to uh, somebody on the rim gets swung around, gets kicked out to John Paxson for a wide open three. Like, it's just, it's so unbelievable to see how he was that superstar to just be a true definition of what it takes to be selfless and why selflessness translates at every level. Um, you know, it's one of the hardest things we struggle with as coaches, particularly at the G league level is everybody's is stat chasing, right? And your whole quest as a coach in the G league is like, you're trying to spread this message of selflessness and the guys that get it and the guys that understand that the ball will eventually find them and, and you have to embrace that concept to the ultimate fullest are the dudes that make it. It's a simple equation, but you have so many guys that don't understand that. And I think this documentary is really a clear cut example of there's just too much power behind the idea. So get with it. Yeah. And of, of those two hours uh, this past Sunday, that was the exact play that stood out to me. You know, Jordan drives, passes it. I think it was to Horace Grant who kicks it out to John Paxson for the game winner. Did it get swung to one other guy? I feel like it was like a click, 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 then it, pass. It, 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 it might have. No, it definitely might have. I, I'm not sure. I got to go back and rewatch. We'll be rewatching that a lot anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, you know, his selflessness and being able to dominate a game, you know, both with the ball in his hands and without has been, it's been awesome to watch for all basketball junkies like us. Right. Couldn't agree more. So you, you touched on the G League quick. Um, I want to go really a little bit before that. So you, you played Division three basketball. Take our listeners through um, where you got your start and then how, how you kind of got into the G League from there. Right. So I was at Bates College for 
three years. I played there for my first two, and I was always hurt. Um, you know, it wasn't fun. I had like some this injury called compartment syndrome. It's like messes up your shins. It's it's really difficult to deal with. Well, I don't want anybody going through that. And in that time, you know, I was still trying to play and uh, got over recruited in some ways and was just, you know, falling out of love with, with the process of being a division three athlete. So I took, took a year off, kind of went back and reflected on, you know, what I want to do with this game. And even if I want to be in it, um, I, I interned for a company called coach up uh, that summer and was just making a decision as to whether or not, you know, I wanted to stay in the business and get going as a coach. And while that was going on, I just, I would find, you know, some kids that I would, that I thought, you know, had potential and, within a program called the Greater Boston Lions. Matt, I know you're familiar with them. Um, and uh, worked them out and kind of just really developed a love for just getting in the gym and getting better. Um, and then that next year, I just kind of took a leap of faith. I had seen what Coach Jim Laranega was doing at the University of Miami. I had a bunch of friends out there at the time uh, that were going to school there that I went to high school with. And, um, you know, just kind of studying Jim Laranega's background and the fact that his son, Jay Laranega, was coaching for the Celtics, which was a team that I had idolized my whole life. I was just like, you know what, let me just take a leap of faith, apply, see if I can get in and, um, you know, see about working for the, for the men's basketball program. And little next, you know, shortly thereafter, I had gotten into the University of Miami. Um, I stepped foot in that gym and just fell in love. And from there, I, I hopped on as an undergraduate manager built a lot of strong relationships with our players, such as Angel Rodriguez, Davon Reed, uh, Bruce Brown, Sheldon McClellan. We had a really, really good group those, those couple of years um, and really just got my feet wet and started working guys out and built a lot of trust there and doing the manager's thing at the same time. So it's now you're going from, you know, working as an athlete your entire life, even if it's at the division three level, le uh, level with no rebounders and, then you're, you're at these guys beckoning call whenever, you know, whenever they need you and you're going to pick up Chick-fil-A and you're doing the laundry and it's like a whole change of ego, right? Um, so it was an unbelievable experience for me. So after my, my year as a manager, um, I actually uh, took a step away from the program my senior year and decided to go and coach AAU. And I had a team um, full of seven Division I prospects, program called uh, the Florida Flash, and one of those players was John Collins um, and uh, coached that team alongside Lance Tejada Sr., a uh, guy who I consider a mentor and somebody who's taught me a lot about the grassroots level and dealing with guys on that level. Um, so went from there, took a step away from the program. I graduate from the University of Miami. The program dissolves. John Collins goes to Wake Forest. I'm now allowed to come back in the role of a GA. So I take um, a GA role at the University of Miami again, or not again, but as a graduate assistant. Um, and uh, we, go, we have a great run. We go to 2015-16, Sweet 16. Uh, we knock off Wichita State in the second round, that Fred Van Vliet, uh, Ron Baker team. And uh, then we play um, Villanova in that Sweet 16 matchup. We lose to the eventual national champions. And uh, head into that summer with a sense of new motivation all the guys getting better. We've got Davon Reed going into his senior year. And um, that summer, I just kind of had a change of heart. I'd been working out um, Sean Livingston at the time. I got connected with him through one of my mentors, Irv Rowland, and just fell in love with just player development to the absolute fullest. And I felt as if making that transition to the professional level, that could be my strict focus. 
So I go from the University of Miami. We're about to start our season, first day of college basketball practice, and I end up getting uh, notified by the Houston Rockets that I just got an internship with their G League team, Rio Grande Valley. Um, so that kind of just was the saga of my time spent at the University of Miami as a manager, grad assistant, and um, really just built my love and, and my passion for being in the coaching industry. Totally. And going from uh, Maine to Miami isn't too bad of a transition either. Uh, no, that was, that was probably the primary reason, to be honest with you, <laughs> just to get out of that, uh, that cold weather when uh, things turn dark at 5 p.m. So Definitely. So you, you, you start um, with Houston. Uh, what was your position on the G League team there? What, what, what were your daily duties? So I was an intern by title, but the really intriguing thing about Rio Grande and the G League in general is you typically have very small staffs. So we had a head coach. We had two assistants uh, in Joseph Blair and Cody Topper, our head coach being Matt Brazzi at the time, and then two interns. Um, so at that point, it's you go in as an intern, but ultimately as the season unfolds, if you build trust and you're able to run drills and, and get guys to be able to, to listen to your teaching and your coaching, you ultimately step into somewhat of a pseudo assistant coaching role. Um, and Matt Brazzi being somebody who empowers his staff to the absolute fullest, really trusted me, you know, put me in charge of all of our personnel edits. So I did every single personnel edit that year. Um, and assisted Cody Toppert on the offensive end and did a ton of player development. We had a really, really good squad that year. We went to the G League finals, we lost to uh, the Raptors 905, who had Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet on assignment. Hell of a series. Uh, but I really, that was my first time where I got to coach. You know, when you're at the college level, I had very intimate relationships with those guys in a practice setting off the court. But when the game comes, you're not talking to them. And this was my first experience where I had a chance to pull a Gary Payton or an Isaiah Taylor or Kyle Wilcher to the side and, and give them advice and tell them what I saw. Um, and that was everything for me. So I just had built a ton of confidence uh, that year. And it just, it really propelled me as a coach. So, so two things I want to follow up on there. One, you played Fred Van Fleet two years in a row. So you got him in the tournament in 20, 2016 and then, uh, he knocked you out of the playoffs in the G League. Did you see him becoming the player he is now? So you got to see him those two years in a row. Did you see him to to where he's now winning a championship last year? You know, I he had always – he and Angel Rodriguez were very similar to me. And I had always been a huge believer in NBA and in, in Angel's NBA upside. Um, now, Angel has never played in the NBA, but that being said, I was – a believer in Fred's NBA upside, but I couldn't tell you that he was going to be this good. Um, you know, he was, he was excellent against us in the G League finals, below the rim athlete, but just found a way to get wherever he wanted to. And he just had this winning DNA. Like you felt him every minute of that playoff series when we had him um, against the 905. So to answer your question, I personally would have thought he was going to be this good, but I could tell you that he was an NBA player. Sure. Yeah, it, to, to your point, it, it feels like these guys, especially at that level that you mentioned earlier in the conversation, the ones that can play off the ball, the ones that see the big picture, are the ones that ultimately end up having success in the NBA. And it's just uh, that level of humility, right? Like Pascal that season hadn't played very much with the, with the Toronto Raptors. And 
you know, people don't realize that like Pascal didn't play that many games in the G League. It wasn't like he had played that like a high volume number of games that year. But when he came down, they were very strategic with putting him in high pressure winning situations. And he blossomed. And it was honestly like in retrospect, crazy watching it because the dude was literally like growing before our eyes. Um, and that's what like really made me such a firm believer in this league is like if you fully embrace your assignment um, in the G League, it can do wonders for your game. And we see it time and time and time again. So to me, it's unbelievable when you have problems with guys that just don't want to do it. You know, why not who? Why not be in a situation where you just get to, to learn and expand and build confidence? Yeah. And so you're spending a lot of time with these G League players. Uh, what type of technology are you guys using at, at that level um, on a daily basis, watching video with players, um, obviously reviewing game film? What are you using in those types of facilities and settings? Um, so we, you know, we, we're a sports code organization. We started to dabble with Exos a little bit this year. Our G League team used Exos, um, except for myself, because I was traveling between both the Hornets and the Swarm, and I needed to be able to readily kind of uh, transfer information. It was I, when you have a hard, you know, three hard drives full of old clips that you feel as if you need to show to your players on a daily basis. It's just a lot easier. So. From a technology standpoint, I, I use sports code. Um, and uh, other than that, that's really the only other video service that, you, that, that I've used. I know we have PlaySight um, in our practice facility. Uh, but for me, just to be able to break down everything, I use sports code. Sure. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're obviously familiar with sports code. And uh, our video integrates directly into um, the platform as well for the real-time coding. Um, right. We had some so, epic uh, preseason pickup filmed via you guys. Just got every angle of it. It was excellent. So it, it's funny when uh, you know when when we're working with our NBA teams, the the staff pickup is one of the most commonly um, filmed things. And you know, being able to play the video back with all your friends on the staff is uh, you know it, it creates some good laughs and memories for. Uh, for yeah, you guys. we we uh, I never got any film of our pickup here, but I, yeah, that's we got to get some more clips for definitely, sure. Definitely. So you're with Rio Grande. Um, I know you bounced around to a couple other G League affiliates as well. Where did you go from there? So from there, I go and actually get offered a job with the main Red Claws. So all of a sudden, it's starting to come full circle. And I'm sitting in the, the old Celtics practice facility, you know, talking to Danny Ainge about hoops. And it's like, wow, like, you know, I've achieved a dream right here. This is something I wanted to do my entire life, to be a part of the Celtics organization. So, you know, in the preseason, we're working out all of our affiliate two-way guys. It was the first year of the two-way contract, actually. So we had Kadeem Allen and Jabari Bird. Um, so I got to spend that entire, you know, preseason uh, uh, with Celtics, first year of Kyrie Irving, learned a ton from, from Brad, obviously, and uh, head up to Maine to try to get the season started. And right before, essentially a week before the first G League regular season game, Earl Watson gets fired in Phoenix. So they promote the entire G League staff, uh, head coach Ty Ellis and two of his assistants to Phoenix. So they're in search of a head coach. So my mentor, Cody Topper, um, who's in Rio, who stays in Rio Grande Valley, gets the interns, gets the, not the intern, gets the head coaching job with Northern Arizona. Um, and I get a call the next day saying, hey, bro, I need you to come with me to Northern Arizona and be my offensive coordinator, you know? 
And at that point, you know, I, I have a decision to make. It's do I stay within the organization that I've aspired to be with my entire life in a role where I, I won't have as much responsibility and, and I won't have control of an offense, where I take a leap of faith and take a risk in a way and go to, go to Prescott Valley, Arizona, two hours outside Phoenix in the mountains with no one I know besides Cody Topper and go and run an offense. And I just believed in myself and took that opportunity. So I coached the first game of the season in Maine against the Delaware Blue Coats. And I'm on a red eye that same night. We go fly into Phoenix, drive two hours to Prescott Valley, and we coach against the Iowa Wolves the next night. Um, and it was a hell of a process just kind of joining a locker room where you don't know anybody. Um, and it really pushed the limits of my ability to coach and build relationships. You know, G League's all about trust. And without a training camp, without somewhat of a small preseason to build those relationships, it can be tough. Um, and fortunately enough, I had a ton of um, – smart, high IQ, uh, good guys in that locker room with Shaq Harrison, Derek Jones Jr., Daniel House, Alec Peters, uh, Josh Gray, we had a, Xavier Stiles. We had a really good team that year, um, and those guys believed in me. Um, and we ended up having a very good year, had five NBA call-ups, uh, had the third best offense in the G League, um, and uh, was just an unbelievable year of growth for me. So um, I went from there then to back to Maine, Cody Topper ends up getting a uh, director of player development job with the Phoenix Suns. They get a new head coach. I kind of wanted to be closer to home with my father, who's a little bit on the, uh, you know, 80 years old. Um, and Brandon Bailey gives me a call that summer and said, hey, you know, there's going to be an opening as, for the associate head coaching job with the Maine Red Claws. I'd love to have you back. So I jumped on that opportunity, went back to Maine, had a really, had another great year of growth under B. Bailey, an unbelievable defensive mind, you know, me being completely offensive oriented for the last two years of my coaching career and getting to work under him um, was just, was excellent for me and my growth. Um, had a good year. Justin Bibbs was our, was our lone call up. Um, but we had PJ Dozier took a, a hell of a step in his growth as a player and got to see him kind of unfold before our eyes. And, so I did that year as an associate head coach in Maine, and that's been my G League experience pretty much up until this point. So you went from, from Maine to northern Arizona, then back to Maine, um, and then to now where you're in Charlotte. Um, one thing that you, you mentioned is the, the relationship piece, and I think training all these guys while you're at your various G League stops uh, has opened up the door for you to also train them in the offseason. So I know you mentioned a couple names, Derek Jones Jr. Um, who are some of the other guys that you're training in the offseason? Because I know you do quite a bit of that too. Yeah, so it's, the story, it's hard to kind of explain it in sequence because while this is all going on between the University of Miami and every single year that I'm in the G League, I'm running NBA pre-drafts. You know, the interesting thing about uh, the G League is that it gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of you know, how you work with players. You're typically under a six-month contract, and when that contract ends, you're no longer obliged to the organization. Um, so there's no conflict of interest in terms of training NBA guys in the offseason or, or running your pre-draft. So as this is all going on, you know, when I'm a GA at the University of Miami, that summer comes and I'm working, you know, with Torian Prince. Uh, Torian Prince and Abdul Nader are two draft picks that year. Um, between the next year and my first year in the G League, that was the year of Dennis Smith, Kobe Simmons, and Antonio Blakeney. 
The following year was Kevin Knox and uh, Ray Spaulding as our two draft picks. And then my last year of doing my pre-draft work was Tremont Waters and Dewan Hernandez. And in all of that, it's the experience was so great for me because you're trying to accelerate the learning curve, right? And you get an understanding of like how much it takes uh, and what these guys need to truly know in order to hit the ground running and be successful from day one. You know, a lot of times it's like pre-draft process really gets treated as a pony show in a lot of ways, right? And I think at times you have guys really struggling with their with getting their feet wet in the league, and as a result, they lose confidence. You know, we see it a ton with a number of players with guys just struggling to understand NBA concepts and uh, and and styles of play on both ends of the ball, and as a result, you may get off to a really bad start, and that may really screw with you. Um, so for me. My whole goal in the pre-draft process was to accelerate that learning curve and help these guys understand it from a coaching perspective. You know, I think one thing that is a little bit, you know, hard to deal with in that market is you've got more trainers and coaches. Um, and as a result, guys were trying to um, take themselves to another point in their career uh, through the pre-draft process as a coach, get labeled as trainers. And as a result, you're kind of cast in this bucket of, you don't really know the NBA game. Um, but you see a ton of guys that have come up through that business. You know, Cody's a big-time example of it. Um, there's just a number of guys that have just been able to – I, I don't want to say use it because that's not what it is because you're, you're building unbelievable relationships in the process. And at the time, you're not really trying to put yourself in that mindset of, like, I'm doing this just as a stepping stone. But at the same time, like – you have an opportunity to run your own program, you know? Um, and I think that's everything is just having that experience. Yeah. Now part of the off season training that you do, um, I know you were the lead trainer for the pro basketball combine explain to the listeners what the pro basketball combine is um, and, and how it works. Yeah. So first off, shout out Jake Kelfer for the idea of starting the pro basketball combine really intriguing idea in that, you know, you have a ton of guys that obviously don't get invited to the, to the combine. You have, you know, a dude like Antonio Blakeney, who was a borderline draft pick, two-way level player at the time who just, you know, doesn't make, make it to Chicago and needs a setting to be evaluated in by, by um, NBA scouts in live competition. Um, so Jake put together the first year of it, started at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, and he brought together 24 prospects, and, you know, our workouts were groups of six. So I was responsible for running all the on-court work. Um, and really what my job was was to, A, you know, showcase these guys in a, in a fashion in which would highlight their strengths, but at the same time would provide scouts the opportunity to see these guys in uncomfortable situations. So meaning we're, we're hooping, we're playing. So I would put these guys through – you know, three-man action stuff, introduce them to the actions, see if they can pick up on the nuances. You know, I think like one thing that three-on-three -three allows you to do and allows scouts to, to come away with is your, your ability to evaluate IQ. Um, can you pick up information on demand? Can you execute? So for me, it's you putting through a number of like actions that we're going to have the guys play out of, whether it's a wide pin or delay action and so forth have them do two, three shot sequences, get them going. And then we play. So we would do 10, two 10 minute halves. And that thing was like, 
these guys are laying it all on the line, like just straight dogs going at each other. It was awesome to be a part of. I mean, we had a, looking back, I mean, we had Kendrick Nunn, um, Antonio Blakeney. Uh, we had a number of guys that really used it to propel themselves um, and that really worked out for them. So, I, you know, I think the, you know, shout out, like I said, shout out Jake Kelfer for the idea of starting the event. Yeah, it seems like a great platform for players that are a little bit under the radar to, you know, be able to showcase their skills and, you know, try and get some of those contracts that you mentioned. Right. The real, the real key in it is like, if you can try to make it into a five on five Portsmouth setting, you know, unfortunately, like as much as I like three on three at times, it's like, it gets a little bit redundant and boring, right? You want to see guys in a five on five setting, but yeah, yeah, definitely. So through all your, training that you've done uh, individually and in group settings, who's put on the best individual training session that you've ever been a part of? Um, it's very clear cut for me. Dennis Smith's pro day was one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. Um, like this dude came off. Uh, it's good. Maybe hard for you guys to envision this, but I'm, dr I'm the, I'm the big, so I'm the guy setting the handoff and he's in the left corner and I'm dribbling at him in the corner. I've got one coach guarding me in a drop so you know he's like six seven the coach guarding him and so he comes off the hands off so he's going to his right hand stakes it back to his left goes off two and windmills the thing in contact and like the whole gym just like shut down and I've got this guy going with Terry Henderson who played at NC State uh has been in the G last couple of years and then you know a couple of years and then Rashid Brooks from Ole Miss kind of like a random assortment of guys but he's going through two, three shot sequences and just bodying the workout. Like, you know, and we've got live defense on him. Um, and it was just like one of those moments where in the NC State practice facility and you're sitting back and it's like, wow, this is special. Um, that was by far the most impressive workout that I've ever seen uh, in, a, in a pro day setting, for sure. I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan, so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, he figures it out and when we get back uh, on the court, yeah, he's able to to make a difference for us moving forward in the future. Yeah, I think he will, man. I, you know, he's just got to figure it out. Got to obviously, it's he's just young. You know, all these guys, it, it's a process, and you have to embrace it. And I think as coaches and evaluators, we get so ahead of ourselves and speed up the process. It's you know, we just gotta you know take our time and and nurture and and understand it, that like I said earlier, it's a psychological and emotional battle sometimes. So, uh, absolutely. So we hit your, your G League side. Um, I know now you're with the Hornets. Talk about the transition going from, you know, G League associate head coach to player development coach. And, and then also explain your role with the, you know, the Hornets, because I know you're um, specifically, you know, looking at and, and following certain players between their transition from your G League uh, organization to the NBA team. Right. So, you know, I was fortunate to get hired by Coach James Borrego this summer. And Charlotte is our two-way coach, um, and it's a very new position, not one that a lot of teams have. I know Golden State has one, Brooklyn has one, uh, Boston has one, but just one of those coaches who's really a liaison between their G League program and the NBA program. You know, I think some of the strongest organizations in the league, the Spurs, the Rockets, um, you know, there's a number of, you can go down the line, Golden State Warriors, like all of these teams are what we call a, a true one-to-one. -one. You know, they're a complete replica of what the NBA team is trying to do. Um, and with that, like, especially in an organization such as the Hornets, like, 
we're in the business of developing talent with, from within. And having as strong as a G League program as you possibly can is vital. Um, and the more that we can develop guys in-house, uh, the better. So, you know, my responsibilities were to be with these guys at all times. So our two-way guys in particular, like I mentioned, Kobe Simmons or Ray Spaulding, um, and then our assignment players and Caleb Martin and Jalen McDaniels. And what an assignment player means is you're a guy in the actual, you know, first 15 Hornets uh, roster uh, contract, and I'm responsible for your development while you're in the G League um, and making sure that you're maintaining all the habits that we need for when you do get your shot as a rotational player in the league. Um, and uh, that's been pretty much my responsibility. Um, and Borrego has been great with the role. You know, one thing that I've really um, admired about his uh, view of what a two-way coach should be is that when you're with the NBA staff, you are part of the NBA staff. So whenever I was at, you know, up for games, I'm behind the bench. I'm in coaches' meetings. I'm fully um, immersed in what we're doing so that when I do report back down to Greensboro, I can have a better sense of what I need to update not only the players on, but our staff um, and making sure that those guys are fully up to date with, you know, our terminology. You know, are we changing something up um, conceptually in the pick and roll? Are we changing something up conceptually in what our, you know, what our coverages are going to be? Are we a blitz team or are we a drop team? Um, and just making sure that Coach Wolf is able to do his job to the best of ability. So, he has as much information as possible. Um, so that was pretty much my responsibility with the Hornets this year. And it just really put me in the shoes of, you know, what, what a two-way player experience is, right? Like, you know, you have that sense of just you're in constant flux. You're constantly traveling. Um, you may be down in the G League for months at a time and, you know, a lot, what happens with a lot of these players, they start to get anxious. Now, you know, for me, like, I've really become very, you know, strong-minded in who I am and understanding that it's a process and you have to be patient and that impatience can really be troubling for your career. So for me, like, having had as much G League experience as I've had, you know, to be able to help those guys from a psychological and, emo on a, from a psychological and emotional standpoint, um, is really, you know, what I'm here for, right? To make sure that these guys are all the way mentally right so that when they do get their shot, they're focused on the right things. So it's really interesting you talk about the mental piece, obviously. It, it, the best players in the NBA are the ones that have the mental edge and the higher IQs, you know, of everybody else. And um, for you to coach them up on that, you know, off the court and obviously the on-court stuff that you do is, is pretty incredible. Um, you know, it seems like you're the liaison between Coach Borrego and the G League. Are you hitting games between? So you, you might go from a, an NBA game and then the next day you might be down for a G League game. It must be a pretty hectic travel schedule for you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a hectic year. You know, it's like one night, you know, we're playing Grand Rapids Drive and you know, I've got to watch, I've got to break down the game for Kobe Simmons, making sure I've got to show him his post-game edit but then right thereafter evaluating the Hornets game so that I know exactly what messages I need to continue to preach. And even if I come across like five or six different clips that I need to be able to show a Kobe Simmons so that he has a picture of what is expected of him. Right. So, you know, it's kind of like that double dipping all the time between having to watch swarm games, having to uh, 
watch Hornets games. And then when your call comes, being on the road and, and, and taking that drive up back up to Charlotte or flying right back to uh, or flying to Memphis with the team for a road game. Right. So, you know, it's that sense of you're living out of a suitcase. Um, but that's kind of been like the definition of my life the last five years, just with going from G league to pre draft and, you know, you don't really have a sense of home. So I've been used to it, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you have to be very disciplined with just not overthinking and, and just having a macro perspective versus a micro perspective. Cause you know, if you take that micro approach, you can go a little bit too crazy with the details. Yeah. And I think, you know, the amount of player development uh, stuff that you guys are doing you know, you look at a uh, Devonte Graham, who was probably a lock to win most improved player this year. Um, you know, PJ Washington made a huge jump this year. So, you know, what you guys are doing, um, and, and as you mentioned, cultivating the player development movement, um, it, it seems really to be showing a lot of progress for the organization. Yeah, for sure. We've got a really great young staff, like Nate Mitchell, who's been responsible for Devonte Graham and PJ Washington, has, has done an unbelievable job with those guys. Dutch Gately. Uh, you know, we've got a veteran, a young veteran, as I say, in Chad Iskey, who's been around with the Denver Nuggets and Philadelphia 76ers when um, they were in the trust of process mode. And uh, Jay Triano, who's obviously a vet, too. And uh, Jay Hernandez, who, you know, speaks for himself. The guy is, you know, player development legend. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really great staff and something that I've been very fortunate to, to jump into and, and be a part of. And those guys have been nothing but accepting of me. Yeah. Yeah. So take us through the day in the life of you. Um, you know, what's a typical day look like? Um, so for me, really, it's like you, you know, you try to get in the office by 730. Um, you know, you, you hit the film. For me, it's like try to read a little bit and then hit the film, um, really plan out kind of like the concepts and points of emphasis that I want to show a couple guys that day, you know, and it's for me, I'm I think as coaches in general, like we get, we get in the mode of like, we want to show everything. But I've, what I've really tried to stress with myself is like, how do I find at the max, like 10 clips to be able to show, to show a guy so we can get, you know, a certain concept, whether it's playing off the catch, whether it's a, a move at the second level of a pick and roll. So I try to organize a couple clips in the morning, just so I'm ready to present if I need to. Um, then it comes down to, you know, getting prepared for the coaches meeting, right? So knowing that, like on demand, like I may be working with some guys in practice or I may not be, you know, I think one thing that's great about Borrego is he just really challenges the staff to be like on demand prepared. You know, you may be thrown, Hey, I need you to go and work with Marvin Williams and Miles Bridges and PJ Washington on, on uh, big man work, you know, conceptual work. So you got to make sure that you have an outline for everything you've got going on headed into that meeting. Um, so then you've got your meeting, you know, we talk out the offensive side, defensive side of the ball, um, and then we get on the court for workouts. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate this year, like I said, to be responsible for those assignment guys and two-way guys and um, kind of, you know, having the freedom to just, you know, within the confines of what we're doing, obviously, just being able to run the show. Um, so, you know, I ran those workouts. And then after that, try to get some work in yourself. You know, I think the biggest thing for us, too, is, you know, I, to build that trust, you got to be in shape, right? So just making sure like you're not all the way getting lost in a guy's development to the point where you're neglecting your own development, right? So 
you know, just making sure you're in the weight room, hitting the treadmill, even getting on the court to get some shots up or um, just doing that classic Steve Nash 20-minute workout. Matt Gibson, I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, that just hit the YouTube and just go get your own rebound and, and chase it and go get some go get some shots up. But, um, you know, so that's pretty much it. And then you, you head back to the house and it's like you get your meal in and you you work, right? Like when you're in this, it's like, it's not, it's not work, it's love. You know, it just come, it comes naturally. Like you just find yourself maybe watching 2007 Golden State versus Dallas Mavericks, right? Like playoff series, like you just always trying to find ways to get better and just study the game and study nuances. So, um, you know, for me, it's like, and I know for the majority of the league, like you have that off button, but you don't really have that off button uh, because you love it. So. Totally. And you mentioned, you know, the, the, the ability to communicate with players, you know, with clips and videos. Um, you know, we have PlaySite installed at the practice facility. We talked with uh, Jordan Camp on one of our webinars um, a couple of weeks ago. You know, how important is that video? How are you communicating it with them? Is it text? Is it, um, you know, through different platforms? How do you, how do you kind of keep that conversation with the players ongoing? So, outside of the quarantine, mainly in person. So like, you know, if we're getting ready for a workout, I'll try to hit Caleb Martin and be like, hey, can you come up like 10 minutes before we start just to, just to watch some clips um, and sit down and just take a look. And sometimes I even like to just bring it on the court, watch it standing up and it might be just two to three clips. So like, for instance, like there was at one point where Caleb was having a hard time with like his Euros at the second level of a pick and roll. So I wanted to just bring it on the court. You know, obviously you've got your computer. You don't want to be too uh, non-cautious uh, about it. But at the same time, like just having that visual of like just being able to go through it on the court, um, you know, so that's pretty much the main form with which I present my stuff. Uh, but then obviously too, being able to use Turbo, uh, Elgato so that you can put in a, in a, in a file that's readily accessible via your phone um, and sending it to these guys so that they can have the freedom to watch it by themselves. I think like one time, one thing like me in particular, like I've had a little bit of a struggle with is like feeling as if I've got to watch everything with my guys together. Right. Whereas like, why not just put together an edit of, you know, a certain topic, a certain emphasis that you feel as if, a guy needs to master and seeing if they can figure it out on their own, you know, and then having a conversation and then working it out on a, working, working on it in a workout. And then his being like, Oh yeah, you showed me that last night. Like, yeah, you know, that's you growing. That's you having um, the freedom to think about your development on your own. You know, one thing that Sean Livingston really taught me was yeah, I'll never forget it. Like the first workout I ever had with him, you know, I'm this five, I'm five, nine, he's six, nine with unbelievable mid post game. And we're working on the mid post, you know, I had studied him and was like trying to like, just kind of work on some, some things that I knew were tendencies in his game. And he's asking me question on question on question on question. And to the point where it's like, damn, like, you know, am I doing this? Am I, am I doing this the right way? But at the end of the workout, he was like, man, I really enjoyed that. But like, I just wanted, I wanted to, to, to push you in that sense because I need you to challenge guys to think about their game on their own. You know, that's that's the key to this thing is that if you don't understand what you're going through um, and you don't have a sense of of why you're working on certain things and and having the idea of, you know, I can 
not challenge in a way, but I can have a conversation with a coach about a particular aspect of my game and you don't have that ability to do it, I don't think you can fully maximize yourself. So I think the more that we can empower our players to think on their own, whether it's by sending them edits with a text overlay that's trying to convey the message and if they can figure it out, right? I think that allows us to build a stronger relationship. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Sean Livingston. We had another guest on our podcast, uh, Sammy Gelfand, who's uh, who was with uh, the Warriors and now is with the Pistons. But he mentioned that Livingston was also one of the most cerebral players that he ever coached and rebounded for. And um, just funny overlap there. Yeah, he's a he's he's unbelievable, man. Shout out Sean Liv. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I think it's also interesting that you mentioned, you know, how often you guys are communicating with the video piece. I mean, you know, looking back you know, three, four or five years ago to where how much analytics and video are being used in practice in game now, um, it's, it's just an incredible, um, you know, year over year increase uh, that, that we're looking at in the kind of the analytics revolution in the NBA. Right, right. So you mentioned Steve Nash before. Is Nash your favorite player? Yeah, he's got to be my he's got to be my favorite player ever. Okay. Him and him and Stockton, um, Stockton, those two guys, uh, Steph Marbury, um, you know, uh, those yeah, that's Nash is the best man. I, I love Nash as well. He's my favorite too. Yeah. So let's. Uh, I, I want to ask you who, you know, and it might be hard to narrow this down to one or two people, but who have been the biggest, you know, helpers and mentors in in your career so far? So. I would say it all starts with Coach Jim Laranega at the University of Miami. He was the first guy to, you know, we obviously come up in fundamentals and everybody stresses fundamentals, but he was the first one to make me truly realize that without that fundamental base, any, there's nothing that you do that truly translates. Now, you have to be creative with the fundamentals and how you present them, but at the end of the day, if your core and your cornerstone of what you do isn't full of fundamental principle and philosophy it's tough for you to really help your players at the highest of levels um you know he was the first guy who who really just let me in the door you know he gave me an opportunity at the university of miami he gave me the opportunity to work with angel rodriguez and davon reed and shell mcclellan and have freedom um and uh, for that i'm forever forever grateful and thankful and then you know from there it's my rgb family um with Matt Brazi and Joseph Blair and Cody Topper, you know, three guys that are at the highest levels of the game right now. And those are the dudes that, you know, whenever we were in a coaches meeting, right, we had the mantra of disagree, debate, and commit. And, you know, every single time you step foot into that coaches meeting, it was just fun. You know, we had a, we had a great time just talking hoops and talking life and whether we were disagreeing or debating something, whenever we left that room, we full blown committed to it. And there was just, there was no, no, no break in the gap, no break in the United front. And as a result, like I've never been in a situation where every single day you're just having, you're having a blast out there. Um, and it translated into winning and it translated into, to our players fully believing in us and, um, you know, um, being able to achieve their dreams. But at the end of the day, like those guys like taught me what it's all about. You know, it's, it's about empowering your staff. It's about, not taking the losses like it's a crush to the soul right like it's hard but at the end of the day like if you're not having full-blown joy with this game why do it right so those guys have been unbelievable mentors to me and then every step of the way you know from Brandon Bailey in, in Maine 
um, to Coach James Borrego here in Charlotte. You know, I've been very fortunate to have a really strong core of just good people in my life um, on the basketball side, you know. And uh, shout out Coach Nakuma Jones, too. Matt Gibson, I know you know Coach Jones, just one of the best developers at the youth basketball and college level in the Massachusetts area and somebody who goes unnoticed um, as uh, just an unbelievable mentor and somebody who, you know, puts, he, he's the one who taught me to put, um, you know, the interests of, interests of your players before yourself. Like it's just about truly helping kids develop their best versions of themselves. And I think as a player development coach, that's why I'm in this, right, is to help these guys succeed on every level of their life. And he's the one that taught me that. No, you've got you've got a great network for uh, no doubt about that. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to pursue a career similar to yours? I think the first thing I'll say is never shy away from experience. Um, I think if you're ever in an opportunity to truly have the freedom to run something, um, you got to take it. You know, I think a lot of us like are very I wouldn't say afraid, but anxious of. Like, I have to fall in line. I need to work in this capacity, like, you know, whether it be, like, in the video room. But at the same time, it's like, while those jobs are great, the G League was so interesting for me because I had the opportunity to build a voice, you know, and, and really be, whether it was, you know, running workouts or driving the van or being responsible for, for lineup changes or offensive efficiency, it's like right there, I just named five or six different things. Whereas, you know, sometimes you get so locked into one's particular role where, you know, do you experience as much growth as you could, right? So not that there's anything wrong with that by any means. Um, and I highly encourage every single route that you can possibly take to be in this business. But I think the more that you can really embrace the value of experience and getting your, your, your feet wet and um, just gaining as much actual just like being in the trenches as you possibly can, I think ultimately that's what truly helps you build success. Cause at the end of the day, you got to do the job, right? Like you have to be able to um, have the confidence that you can go out there and coach if you want to coach. Yeah, uh, absolutely. A couple of quick hitters here. Um, what's the craziest arena you've ever played in, you know, as a visiting team? You know, it was crazy. The University of Nebraska was crazy. Um, when I was a GA there, we played them like in the big 10 challenge and that environment was nuts. Um, you know, who, North who was Carolina, the coach then? Who was the coach uh, then? For, uh, uh, for, for Nebraska? Yeah. For Nebraska. Tim Miles. Tim Miles. Okay. Yeah, Tim Miles was the coach. Um, that was a crazy environment. I took the worst beating of my life at the university of North Carolina. That environment was nuts. Um, in terms of G League, like, environments, Santa Cruz has got a great home crowd. Maine, when, you know, it's jam-packed and, and rocking, is a great place to go play. Austin is a really good place to play. They've got a great environment. Um, and then in terms of the NBA, you know, I haven't been to too many places because I didn't get to travel at all, you know, for every game. But, you know, when I had that experience to actually, like, be behind a sideline in the, you know, in, in the garden – in Boston, um, you know, and Taco Fall gets up out of the bench, like that's a crazy experience. Um, you know, crowd's going nuts for that guy. So. <laughs> it's funny, you got you Boston guys call uh, the, the Boston Garden the Garden, and I call it the Garden too with, with MSG here. Right, um, right. <laughs> right. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, two, two historic franchises for sure. Right, for sure, man. Uh, so you mentioned you were reading a couple things. Um, what are you watching? Anything on Netflix uh, for the listeners? Any podcasts to check out? Um, kind of like a, uh, a different type of story, but there's a Netflix documentary called The Pharmacist um, about a, uh, a, a father um, of a kid who ends up, he's from New Orleans, ends up getting addicted to drugs, but, you know, gets killed actually in the ninth ward. Um, and he is, it's the story of his essentially being able to rally from such a um, tragic uh, life circumstance to just finding the motivation to solve the murder of his son and then actually help uh, lead the crusade against the opioid crisis in um, New Orleans at the time, or actually in the country. And I just thought it was an interesting uh, story to be able to relate to perseverance and um, something outside of the game of basketball, just for the power of will. Um, other than that, I've been watching, I, I finished Better Call Saul, uh, which was great. You know, obviously not really relatable to the game itself. Um, but for me, and I'll, I'll show it to you, these, this is like the best, best thing I've ever read, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's like you got to read five pages at a time and then take a deep step back and just be like, evaluate what you got going on. But um, I would highly recommend it to any, any hooper, any coach, uh, anybody in, it, in, any, in any field. No, that's, uh, I'm sure our listeners appreciate that. Um, last thing here, how can the listeners uh, connect with you? Any social handles that they could reach out, um, you know, if they're feeling inspired or, or want to get involved? Yeah, um, you know, I'm actually just pretty much on Instagram um, at Big Nick Willie, and uh, that's pretty much the main form of my communication. Um, and uh, yeah, so Nick, we really appreciate you coming on. You've been a fantastic guest. Uh, you know, you, you've got a great story, and I think a lot of people will feel inspired listening to this. Again, this was Nick Friedman, player development coach with the Charlotte Hornets. Appreciate you guys having me. This is awesome. Thanks for listening to The Edge. You can catch us on social media at PlaySight on both Twitter and Instagram. That's at P-L-A-Y-S-I-G-H-T. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get a chance, please subscribe and rate this podcast. Big thanks to our partners, the Sport Lifestyle Network. We'll catch you next time on The Edge.